Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hi, podcast listeners. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode. We're happy to be with you as always. Yes, and we're happy to be with one another. As always. That's kind of special. <laughs> Very special. Yes. Special here in 2022, Lent. Here we are. Welcome to Lent. <laughs> Always something special, literally, about being a Catholic during Lent. Um, just a sense of, uh, if, for those of you who've grown up Catholic, it, maybe you can relate to this, a certain excitement about challenging ourselves, something about beginning the season with that sign of ashes on our forehead, a sense of needing to deny ourselves, to prepare for something wonderful. I don't know. There's something very special about that. What are your thoughts about that? When you said ashes, I'll tell you what came to mind. Okay. Um, And it always happens. It's like a visceral thing in my my memory yeah i even the word ashes and thinking of getting ashes i get a little like chill like nails on a chalkboard kind of chill (laughs) the feeling because the feeling of the the, like graininess grainy (laughs) the grainy rub on my forehead and i can feel the sprinkles of the ashes like going down on my nose yeah and as a teenager being so (laughs) so concerned that they're going to give me blackheads oh no (laughs) do you know that the ashes are burnt palm yeah, branches from the, previous, from the year. previous year. I didn't always know that. Um, something I discovered in my years of mothering young children, living in a northern climate, I don't know all the factors, but there were many years, I praise God, I feel like I'm out of those years now, but there were many years when by the time Lent came around, in terms of like the season and how I was feeling, I was really down. Like seasonal depression slash physical problems with coldness, mm-hmm. um, to the point where I was struggling just to smile at our children and be a loving wife and mother. And I truly recognized and honestly said to the Lord, I cannot give something up because I am already, everything has been stripped from me already. That's how it felt. Whether it was the lack of sleep from children's needs or the demands of my homeschooling or all the physical things coming together, it was just a rough time of year. And I really breathed in a certain grace to say, you know what, I'm actually called to find ways to bring joy into my children's lives, into my husband's life during this season. And there is a sacrifice in that when you're down to think, how can I bring joy to someone else? Um, And yet bringing joy to someone else also brings joy to me. And to realize that for me in my low energy, not feeling good state, that that actually was the sacrifice. That was the call of holiness for me. you're, You're shining a bright light on what I think is a very important principle about the nature of sacrifice. We, we can get in our 
kind of tried and true Catholic categories of giving up chocolate or giving up X, Y, and Z. Um, but sometimes an examination of our heart, just like you're, you're pointing to, can lead us to think outside the box. Mm-hmm. And it reminds me of someone I know who one year, this is going to sound strange, but I'll explain it. And I thought it was a real work of the Holy Spirit in this person's life. What this person gave up for Lent was giving up something for Lent. In other words, this person didn't give up anything for Lent, and that was the person's sacrifice. And the sacrifice, because this person shared this with me, was he recognized that there was a spiritual pride Mm. in his kind of extra stringent Mm. um, aesthetical, uh, excuse me, aesthetical, not aesthetical. Aesthetical is beauty. Aesthetical is discipline. Uh, This person was taking spiritual pride in his ascetical practices. And so for Lent, he was really making a sacrifice of his pride. Mm. What a beautiful sacrifice, Mm -hmm. right? That's that's getting really into, I think, a, a genuine perspective on Lent. The goal of Lent is purification. Yeah. And if giving up chocolate purifies you, praise the Lord. If giving up chocolate causes spiritual pride or you're just kind of checking a box, well, then I I would suggest dig a little deeper. What's going on in your heart that needs to be purified? And how can you best approach that? That might be a a different way to look at Lent. And and hey, I'll throw this out too. Uh, Bill Dunahy and I recorded a retreat, a Lenten retreat for our patrons on what it means to go through these purifications, these strippings. And it's a meditation on the station of the cross. Jesus is stripped of his garments. And uh, you can you can sign up now. Even if you, you missed it, we, record, we did it live, but we recorded it. If you'd like to become a patron and, and support this work, that retreat and many other retreats that we've done in the past are available to you. So check out the link below. Uh, about uh, our patron community and how you can get access to that retreat may, may be of interest to you guys. Great. And our first question comes from a patron named Jessica. Hello, Jessica. Thank you so much for being a patron of this work. So, so appreciative of your support. Jessica says, Christopher and Wendy, you have truly been a part of the transformation in my marriage. And my husband and I talk about you both as if we've been friends for ages. Aww. Jessica and your husband, whatever his name is, guess what? We will be friends forever. There you go. God willing, we're all together in the communion of saints. We will know each other forever. Can't wait. And I'm going to say that that to all our listeners out Mm. there. I can't wait to know you. We can't wait to really know you. Yeah. One of the great joys to look forward to in heaven. Sorry. Continue (laughs) with the question. (laughs) My husband and I have been on a healing path with God for some time now. But I feel I've hit a wall in terms of what I can bring to our marriage and marital union because of unhealed sexual experiences from my past. Mm. How do I heal from past sexual relationships with men, premarital sex with my husband, and unchastity in our marriage? Are there resources for this? Do you have any practical tips on where to start? Bless you, Jessica. Bless you. I do have some practical suggestions, but before I, I offer them, I just want to 
share my my heart of compassion. Uh, compassion, if you pick apart the word, it means to to suffer with. And I I know that need for healing. Uh, my own sexual past was was difficult, and I I I came into marriage with a lot of wounds. And that healing, you can never say, I've arrived. It's an ongoing journey. And it keeps us in a posture of dependence on the Lord, which is a very good thing, because it's the only truthful thing. When we think we don't need the Lord, when we think we can be independent from His grace and mercy in our lives, we're fooling ourselves. So, yes, our wounds are... They were never meant to be. It was not part of God's plan that we would have these sexual wounds. But we are super abundantly provided for in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Christ came to bind our wounds, to heal the brokenhearted, to restore creation to the purity of its origins. And there is real power, real power flowing from the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ to take us on a journey. That's what it is, a journey of healing. So, Jessica, you're on it already, one foot in front of the other. When you, you said you kind of feel like you ran out or ran, ran into a wall, you're not sure what, what more you can, can do. And, and sometimes I would even suggest, I mean, always I would say, that is a great place to be when we realize, I don't know what to do. There's nothing else I can do. When we run into our powerlessness, when we've exhausted all of our own resources, this is a very holy place, because now we are getting in touch with our poverty, our powerlessness. And that is something that will never go away. I, I know in my own life, I keep thinking, well, if I read this book, or I do this practice, or I... I, 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 you know, pray this much or read this much or whatever, I, I'll get to this point where I get over my, my, my stuff, where, I, where I'm no longer in poverty, where I, I finally have conquered my problems. That's just not the true, that's just not the truth of our relationship with Jesus. Our poverty never goes away. And guess what? Even our wounds don't go away. Christ, even in his resurrected body, still has his wounds. Here's the good news. His wounds are glorified. So, dear Jessica, don't wish or even pray for your wounds to go away. Pray for your wounds to be glorified. And please, Jessica, pray for me that I would be in that same posture of allowing the Lord, not, I, not that I would want him to erase my poverty, erase my woundedness, but that he would glorify it with his riches, with his, the oil of his love. That's kind of a, an image I go to often when I'm looking at my wounds, just the oil of love, the oil of healing, Jesus pouring his oil on our wounds. So here are some practical suggestions, Jessica. I would highly recommend a book by my friend and colleague, Dr. Bob Schutz. And Schutz is S-C-H-U-C-H-T-S. 
Dr. Bob Schutz called Be Restored. I think I've spoken about this on previous episodes. Uh, I, I'd also suggest a podcast called Restore the Glory by Bob Schutz and Jake Kim. Uh, Jake Kim is also a longtime friend. Uh, they are two therapists who who have a podcast called Restore the Glory, which explores this this need that we all have for inner healing. And, and I did two episodes with them, uh, I think episodes 42 and 43 of their podcast. Uh, I, I've recommended those before, and we'll put the links in the show notes. But not please don't just listen to the episodes that I did with them. Explore uh, their, their podcast. It's great. And another resource would be a retreat, two retreats that we gave for our patrons. And Jessica, you are a patron, so you already have access to these retreats. I did a retreat with Bob Schutz that is on your patron community webpage, uh, available to you as a patron. Uh, Bob and I explored this question of inner healing that we need from sexual wounds. And I also did a retreat that's for our patrons with Andrew Kamiski and his team from Desert Stream Ministries, uh, which is also available on your patron website. Already as a patron, you have access to those. So check out those two retreats. I'm pretty sure in both of those, we, we offer uh, some additional practical resources. But I would just recommend take a Take an afternoon or take several mornings or however you do your prayer time or quiet time and and begin watching those retreats on the patron community website, entering into to the journey of healing that's unfolded in those retreats. Uh, you may also look up the Desert Stream Ministries website and see if there's a chapter of their Living Waters program in your area. Uh, that would be a, a really thorough approach to inner healing. And you could also look into the Healing the Whole Person retreats that Bob Schutz runs through the JP2 Healing Center. Mm. And we'll put links to all of that in our show notes. Just yesterday, you and I were um, listening to um, a recording of Matt Frad interviewing Dr. Bob Schutz. And I remember after we listened to it, uh, we were saying that um, just how much our church needs these ministries, how they are so needed. And um, just, Lord, please grow them and connect the people who need them to these ministries. Yes, so I'm, I'm so grateful you listed multiple different ministries. We're so grateful to the work of the Holy Spirit and the lives of the people that are doing these ministries. And really pray that our podcast listeners are able to benefit from them. Only one other thing I just wanted to say to Jessica related to your earlier comment about kind of recognizing a certain poverty in that place of, of hitting a wall. And the image that came to my mind when you were talking about that was, I hope that some of our listeners can relate to this. Um, when we went through childbirth training and preparation, we looked at sort of what they call progress in labor. And from a medical perspective, like it, or it can be anyway, this sort of this looking at progress means an, a measurable number that's in, increasing, like your, your cervical dilation is increasing right. or the frequency of contractions or some kind of a, a measurable thing that shows 
quote, progress. But I remember because we were longing for a, a you know, unmedicated birth, we were taking a different approach in our preparation. And they would talk about these sometimes going many hours in labor without any numbers changing. And a certain trust that there are adjustments going on inwardly. Maybe it's in the baby's position. Maybe it's something else that we can't even put a a name to that are really essential to the the whole process. So that was the image that came to me of that sort of being frustrated, like my labor is not progressing. Mm, mm. This sort of frustration, somebody do something, make the labor progress. And, and a sense of like, just that surrender to like, pause right here, reflect on how much you've already come in this journey and allow the Lord and your husband to love you as you are right now and not to give in to kind of uh, any kind of anxious pressure about the progress you need to make because it could really be deeply but silently fruitful within your being that you have hit this wall right now just to pause and let that be okay Um, and I think that's really what you were getting at also with talking about accepting our poverty I, I kind of feel it the same way but that was just the image that I felt powerful like sharing powerful image Wendy so beautiful and right uh, a beautifully fitting image when when we hit a wall as you've expressed it Jessica in our own journey of healing maybe maybe that's not the right expression maybe it's a time of of rest mm. maybe it's a time of uh, a a deeper trust, which is part of the healing, is learning that deeper trust. I know I can get, in my own perfectionism, very anxious when I feel like I'm no longer understanding what's going on in my interior life. And that's just because I'm a control freak. I want to I know. I want to be on top of it. Well, the, the Lord, part of my healing that I desperately need is a deeper surrender when I don't know what's going on. And saint after saint speaks of these kind of experiences of unknowing, uh, entering into nothing, nada, uh, where, where there's a time of, of darkness, blackness. I, I don't know what's going on. But we persevere in faith that the Lord is doing a deep and secret work because we give our yes, we we consent to it. We say yes, Lord. I don't know what's going on. I'm in, I'm going through that right now, in a in a time of kind of intense interior self examination and and asking the Lord to bring healing into patterns of my life that that I I know are destructive, and and I'm just, I'm at a point where I just have to surrender. I don't know what's going on. I'm I but I trust, Lord. Please. Help my lack of trust. I do trust. Help my lack of trust. I do believe you're at work. Help my lack of belief. And there's a, a new surrender that is part of the healing. So keep going, dear sister. You're you're on the journey. And I shared this, um, I think, in our last podcast episode, just that scripture that's so meaningful to me. The Lord will bring to completion the work he has begun in you, mm. Jessica. Yes. Bless you. Our next question is from an anonymous listener who says, I'm a married man. 
who has been struggling with premature climax. I tend to suffer from anxiety, and this problem has snowballed to the point that the conjugal act is pretty stressful for me. I've looked for help on the internet and was discouraged after learning that a lot of, quote, therapies require masturbation, which is a no-go for me. I know some men with this problem are prescribed desensitization cream. It's used to partially numb the genitals and therefore delay climax. Is that okay for us as Catholics? Bless you, dear brother. You're putting a very vulnerable reality of your own life out into the light here. And I just want to honor that. Bless you. Bless you. I, I'm not a sexologist in the sense of understanding the biological factors that are involved in uh, premature climax for a man, um, and, and I'm not a therapist uh, who could lead you through the, the steps of kind of looking at what anxieties might be at work here and what the roots of those anxieties are or certain therapies for those anxieties. I speak as a theologian and as a husband and a father, and from my own life experience, uh, I draw from that. I, I can certainly say morally, there is nothing in and of itself that would lead one to conclude it's immoral to use those kind of desensitization creams. However, I would uh, my best guess would be it's it's a kind of masking of the deeper problems. When we have issues in our physiology, uh, especially when it has to do with sexual dysfunctions like premature ejaculation in a man or or frigidity, or I think it's the medical term now might be vaginismus, where uh, a woman's body uh, clenches up in anxiety and she cannot receive her husband's body in intercourse. Um, if, we, if we're only treating them at the physical level, I think we're missing out on an opportunity to go deeper into psychological, emotional, and spiritual wounds that are, are lodging in our genitals. And that might be a strange expression for some to say that, what, emotional wounds, psychological wounds, spiritual wounds lodged in my genitals? What? This is because we have a, a real ruptured view of body and soul in the Western world. John Paul speaks of this extensively in the theology of the body, this rupture. But one statement in particular, he says, the whole of, modern, the, whole of the modern scientific approach to the body is founded on the separation, the rupture of body and soul. I'll tell a quick story here. Um, I think I mentioned even in a recent podcast, oh yeah, we were talking about the Olympics and big air mm -hmm. and how <laughs> I, I uh, broke my femur taking some big air on a ski jump some years ago. And I was in physical therapy for like a year and a half after that major bodily injury and I had, I had taken a couple months off of physical therapy, and I was back into physical therapy. And the, the therapist said to me, 
okay, we're going to uh, massage some of these muscles here in your, in your leg where the injury was. And she said, just beware. We often store deep emotions in our muscles. And when I massage these muscles, you may feel a need to cry or even weep, not because it's physically painful, but because this stored up emotion is getting released. And I was like, okay, I mean, I get the principle, but uh, yeah, whatever. I don't think there's going to be any issue here. And sure enough, she starts digging into these muscles with her massage technique. And oh man, these tears just welled up from like the depths of my soul. Mm. And she said, I'm going to leave you alone for a little bit. I'll be back. You let me know when you're ready. And I collapsed on the floor weeping. I, I share that story just to, to give an example of this body-soul connection. My body experienced a real trauma, and that trauma was not just physical. It was a trauma to my body, but it was a trauma to my soul. And deep emotion of, this, of my soul got stored in my body. It's a, it's a two-way street there. Yeah. And, and I, I would suggest that this premature climax that you're experiencing is a physical expression of a, a deeper emotional, spiritual, psychological wound. And I would, I would encourage you to pursue that in spiritual direction, in good spiritual reading, in good spiritual practices. Uh, brother, just a, 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 an approach, if you haven't done it already, would be in your quiet time. I hope you take quiet, prayerful time every day. If you don't, here's a time to, to begin, and you have plenty of things to bring to prayer. Just quietly present to the Lord in prayer your anxieties about your own physical reality in the marital act. Present that to the Lord and say, Lord, I want to heal. And then listen quiet your heart to listen and do this many 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 times over and over maybe over weeks over months present what's the anxiety in your heart to the lord and listen we we have to do this over and over it's like learning the piano or any musical instrument we have to do the same thing over and over again to to acquire the ability to tune in to how the lord speaks to our hearts Maybe in listening, maybe in just quietly listening, you'll have a memory, maybe a childhood memory, maybe a memory from teenager, from being a teenager, maybe the first time you were exposed to pornography, maybe the first time you fell into the sin of masturbation, maybe who knows what might come up, any number of things could come up, maybe being scolded by your mother when you were three years old, a memory like that could come up. All of these things are... are like muscle memories of the heart that affect the way we see the world. And they especially, especially when it's male-female stuff, if it was a mother or a female teacher, um, or maybe it was uh, could have been a, a, a boy in childhood who saw you changing in the locker room and laughed at your penis. Those things, those memories lodge in our genitals. And we need healing, and the Lord can and does heal us there. But the, the wound has to come into the light. And what I'm suggesting here in terms of listening prayer is just a, a, an opportunity to bring that into the light. 
I'd suggest any of the books that we are recommending to Jessica as well, and those retreats that we are recommending to Jessica as well in terms of uh, healing here. Wendy, what are your thoughts? Yeah, it's really a tender thing. And I, I love that example you gave with your physical therapy of just discovering something really being real, uh, that physical, emotional connection. Um, I just want to ask our listeners to join us in, in praying for this couple, um, for really a sense of the dignity of your union and the dignity of your bodies, that um, the Lord truly made your bodies and said, it is very good. And to um, allow that, just that truth to be part of the healing that needs to happen. So we, we pray that for you and for all our listeners. I'm reminded as you say that, Wendy, that the role of the Blessed Mother here, I think, is also very important for you as a man. We need, our train, if we use this analogy, needs to travel on two tracks. And if you're familiar with my teaching, you've heard me say this before, that we each have two tracks for our train to ride on, one being gender identification and the other being gender complementarity. And in this journey of healing, it's very important that we bring both of those tracks into the light because we all have big chunks of those tracks missing. For you as a man, your track of gender identification is going to be with Jesus. But we also need that track of gender complementarity, and that's going to be with Mary. And if we have a hyper-pious understanding of the Blessed Mother as if she's afraid to go to places where we need sexual healing, then we have a hyper-pious understanding of the Blessed Mother, and we, we have to be healed of that. Mary is not afraid of any of our wounds. She's not afraid of any of our sexual wounds. She's not afraid of any of our sexual sins. She's not afraid of any of our disordered, diseased sexual ideas and images, and exposing them to her, uh, giving them to her. She is the mother of mercy, and Christ's grace flows to us through her. It's just a basic biblical principle. Jesus reaches us through Mary. It's called Christmas. That is a basic, fundamental, spiritual law, if you will, that the grace of Jesus Christ comes to us through Mary's body. Mary loves her body, and she loves Jesus's body, and she loves your body, because your body to her is Jesus's body. And she knows right where the wound is. She knows right where the ouchy place is. She knows right where you need healing. And you can truly, brother, you can truly expose that anxiety to Mary. Your, your wife, I'm sure, is a beautiful, wonderful woman, but she's not the Immaculate Conception. Uh, we need a woman who is perfect in her love for us to expose these wounds to, to experience a, a, a perfect feminine presence ministering to us in these places of deep masculine anxiety. We need both the affirmation of, of a brother, Jesus, who can show us the way in that, on that track of identification, but again, we need that track of gender complementarity. Go to the Blessed Mother with this question with this anxiety and and await her feminine touch her feminine presence her feminine 
her, her feminine solicitude uh, to your wound. Our next question is from Gabriella. Hello, Gabriella. Thank you, Christopher, and you, Wendy. Your continual yes to the work of God in your lives has blessed my own, even by a, a podcast. You often say to discern one's vocation, one is to ask, what is our deepest desire? But at the end of the day, don't we all have the same deepest desire, which is for God? How does the answer to this question lead us to different vocations? And what happens next once I know in my heart my true desire is for God? Gabriella, I love your question. I love your question because it shows that you're really chewing on this stuff and you're, you're paying attention. And I, I love your, your calling me. Uh, I think you're calling me to task here for maybe failing to make some important distinctions. And I, I like that. <laughs> what do you think? Do you think, that, do you think I'm on to something? Uh, yeah, she may be. I, I kind of like it. I like being called a task. I mean, sometimes I don't. But I know you're doing it in love. So, and I'm happy to, to take some time here to, to draw out some distinctions. And I would agree with you, yes. At the deepest level of the human heart, we all have a desire for God. Is it the same desire for God? Well, each person is unrepeatable, is unique. And John Paul II, in one of my favorite lines from the Theology of the Body, he says, every person is called to a unique and unrepeatable relationship with God. That means, yes, we can say every human heart has a desire that can only be filled by God. But in my heart and in your heart, Gabriella, those desires will take on different contours, different flavors, if you will, uh, a different fragrance. Mine's going to smell like me, and your desire's going to smell like you. And your fa fragrance, Gabriella, is completely and totally yours. No one else has the essence of Gabriella, like you are you. You are unrepeatable. Wendy, your desire for the Lord is your desire for the Lord. It's unique to you. There are similarities, of course, because we all share the same human nature, but there's that uniqueness. And within that uniqueness, I think, is where we find the uniqueness of our particular call of how do I live out my desire for God, right? It would be wrong, and I, I was just reading this in John Paul II's writings yesterday, an essay on marriage that he wrote in 1974. It appears in the back of the 2013 translation of Love and Responsibility, if you want to look it up. That's why I'm telling you. Um, in that essay, he says, it would be wrong to think that the celibate vocation is a choice for God, whereas the marriage vocation is merely a choice for another human being. Right? We are missing altogether in that assessment, we are missing the call of marriage as a sacrament. And that means the sacrament of marriage really and truly communicates divine love, divine grace. 
which means my choice for you, Wendy, and this is right out of JP2, my choice for you, Wendy, is a choice to love and honor God. And your choice for me is a choice to love and honor God. Absolutely. Even there, there are distinctions to be made because I'm not God and you're not God. Um, And so the celibate vocation, which is directing one's spousal love towards God alone uh, in a a very direct way, uh, yeah, there, there are still even their distinctions. And here's the distinction, if we want to speak theologically, the celibate vocation is not a sacrament, right? Some people might be thinking priesthood is a sacrament. Yes, holy orders is a sacrament. But I'm not talking about holy orders. I'm talking about the call to the celibate vocation. There are many consecrated celibates who have not experienced holy orders, the sacrament of holy orders. So if we look at celibacy itself as a vocation, it is not a sacrament. Why is it not a sacrament? Sacraments mediate to us divine heavenly realities. Celibacy is not a sacrament because we could say, in a very real way, it is an immediate participation in that heavenly reality, meaning it's not mediated by a sacrament. It is a more direct giving of oneself to God. So lots of distinctions need to be made here. All of this is to say, Gabriella, you are unique and unrepeatable. And within your unique, unrepeatable humanity, you will find a unique, unrepeatable yearning for God. And your question in your yearning for God becomes, Lord, how in this life do you want me to live out my yearning for you? Another way to say it, how, Lord, given my gifts, my dispositions, my my preferences, my uniqueness as a person, how can I live in this life in such a way that I will be most prepared for living with you and the communion of saints forever. Marriage and the celibate vocation are two different but complementary ways of living out the same call to prepare ourselves here for the communion of saints and communion with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit for all eternity. Gabriella, what are you called to? I can't answer that. Only you, by honest examination of the unique, unrepeatable fragrance that you are, can answer that question. And I would just say, there is a beautiful gift in recognizing in your heart your true desire for God. And it actually can be, even if you are not called to celibate vocation, but perhaps, and I may be assuming this, that you haven't, that you are single right now, um, let's say that you are, um, that that recognizing that desire isn't just the stopping place. Like, that's what I desire, so I'll have that in heaven. Okay. It's not a place to just conclude the search. It's actually a place to begin getting to know the Lord in all kinds of ways through your... Um, obviously reading scripture or 
works of spiritual authors. So reading is one way, but so many other ways in your life, in your prayer, in your living day to day, you can begin to recognize the presence of the one your heart desires mm. in your daily life in such a way that you begin to see the signs that he is calling you yeah, to something. Yeah, beautiful, Wendy. So, and you are also so freed up from the pressure to find the most fulfilling calling that there is because you found the most fulfilling person whoop, already whoop, 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 whoop. and you live that life with that person. And what a freedom that gives you to try to recognize his presence and the touch of his hand, the sound of his voice, um, the drawing of his heart toward perhaps someone in need that you have gifts you can respond to. All of that is part of that beautiful graced journey into one's vocation that you are at the most beautiful starting place for. That's awesome, Wendy. I'm so, so glad you shared that. And it it points to what I was saying earlier about just the uniqueness of the relationship that each person has right. with the Lord. Yes. Uh, here's just a kind of banal example. I love a good dark beer, and I have had, <laughs> I have had, I think, genuine mystical experiences drinking dark beer. You don't like beer. Nope, haven't had those. And so you're not going to have those experiences. So if there was a vocation of beer drinking, you would not be called to it. Definitely not. Because that does not correspond to your unique Wendy-ness. That's right. Right? But it corresponds to my unique Christopher-ness. Yeah. And one of the marks of authentic growth and holiness is that your uniqueness radiates. It, it becomes more uh, recognizable and more on display uh, not less so. Uh, I get very skeptical and very concerned when, when holiness, so-called holiness, is actually an excuse for uh, a bland uniformity right. with other people. Look at the history of the saints. What colorful, different personalities mm -hmm. we have in the lives of the saints. Uh, what is what is your what is your unique color, Gabriella? What is your unique fragrance? And live that, find that, discover that, and the Lord will foster that. You become more yourself, and the more you become yourself, as Wendy was saying, the more you'll encounter the way the Lord ministers to you through the things of this world, and you get freed up. You get freed up. You're not living under somebody else's expectations. You're living in the freedom the Lord came to give us. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We hope that this podcast is a source of that freedom for all our listeners. That's our desire. We, we're doing this and, and, and sharing our own thoughts, which are just limited to our limited lives and perspectives. Uh, but we do so because we've tasted this freedom. We don't live it perfectly, but we've tasted it, and we want as many people in the world to taste it too. If you've been freed up in some way today by this podcast, we praise God for that, and we encourage you to share your freedom with, with somebody else. Um, you can share this podcast with others if you think that would be helpful, but maybe the Lord moved in your heart today in a particular way, and maybe you're meant to go out for coffee with somebody 
or for a good dark beer. <laughs> and maybe not dark beer if that's not your thing. But whatever it was your thing, go share your thing with somebody uh, and share your heart with somebody. That's how evangelization happens. That's how growth happens. That's how we also learn and grow from others. It's not only Christians who have gifts to give the world, but we are called to receive the gifts of others and see everyone as a gift. That's the whole goodness and gift of being alive, that we're a gift. <laughs> Caught you off guard there, Wendy, didn't I? Become what you are. Yeah, baby. <laughs> to you by the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you are going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes.